Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. Um, I want to talk tonight about three doctrines, the three doctrines that are um, specifically named in the Bible. And they are the doctrines of men, the doctrines of devils, and then the doctrine of Christ. Um, You know, all of these are very important for us to consider. And in fact, a lot of us are here today because of doctrine, because of teaching. Um, I think it's Webster who defined doctrine as, as an inspired, uh, inspired teaching. Um, but just from a biblical sense, it's just really just teaching. It's, uh, it's taking the Bible, taking the scriptures and, and the word of God and learning from it and um, opening up your heart to it so that it can change, change your life. How many can testify that when you did that, God changed your life? Amen. When you were taught some doctrine, you were yeah. taught some teaching, uh, amen, that, that uh, God changed your life for the better, amen, for the better. I can certainly testify of that. Um, some of us would even probably testify that we've been, we were delivered from false doctrine. I know that's my testimony. I've shared that uh, here previously and I'll probably continue to share it over the course of my tenure um, as a believer because it is a part of my testimony uh, that I was uh, I was steep in false doctrine, steep in false doctrine and didn't even know it. And I think that's um, that's uh, that's a dangerous place to be in. It's a sad place to be in. But when God shows up and he He sends somebody in your life, a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, a, a prophet, an evangelist or somebody to preach to you the truth and your eyes are opened. Amen. That's something to to rejoice about, something to be glad about. Amen. 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 To receive the truth. But with God, teaching flows one way from him to us through his word. In other words, we can't teach God anything. Job suggested that God not only teaches us, but also he teaches the beasts of the earth as well. Jesus informed his disciples that the Holy Spirit will teach them all things. Amen. All things. It would open up their their understanding. It would open up their ability to be able to look back and read the scriptures and know that the, the Torah, the law, the prophets, the writings, they all spoke about Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit, once it was delivered, would teach them all things. And we have that same promise today. When we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's, it's, it's God's way of, yes, uh, preparing us for heaven, but it's also a way for us now that when we read the scriptures, our understanding is opened. Um, I think it's in Romans chapter eight, where it talks about how uh, spiritual things are spiritually discerned, right? And in order for you to, to discern spiritual things, then you have to have the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, there are a lot of people who can take this this word and take God's word and take God's doctrine and, uh, you know, uh, digest it and chop it up and, um, uh, you know, 
do some studying and, and, and present it as if they have some type of revelation. Uh, but if they don't have the Holy Ghost or have not received the Holy Ghost, I would question their ability to really do that, to really and truly understand the scriptures. Um, there are a lot of smart people in the world and a lot of people who think they're smart in the world. Um, but both parties have a way of, of uh, in, a, in a humanistic sort of way, digesting and cutting up the scriptures. In fact, that, again, that was my testimony. Somebody who was very charismatic, somebody who actually grew up in a Pentecostal uh, church. Uh, his uh, uh, grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher uh, in the 30s. And, uh, and, and earlier than that, 1930s and earlier than that, uh, actually grew up in the truth, grew up, left the church, and they began to teach this false doctrine. Um, you know, he started out teaching uh, the prosperity doctrine and then got in trouble with that. Uh, with that, he, it was actually uh, multiple warrants out for his arrest, and he, uh, he disappeared for some time <laughs> and uh, came back under a different name. And what he was doing when he disappeared was he was out studying the nation of Islam. He was out studying um, some of these uh, ancient writings and ancient teachings and, um, and, and, and Buddhism and these types of things. And what he ended up creating was a religion that fooled a whole bunch of people. And, of course, I'm talking about this, these uh, Hebrew Israelites um, who are after uh, and their focus is after black people and trying to inform black people that they are the true Hebrew Israelite Israelites. But that false doctrine that he uh, created was because he spent time chopping up, as I describe it, chopping up the word, chopping up the scriptures and then presenting it in a way that people related to it because of the, the really because of the color of their skin, because of the message that he was trying to teach them. Look, you're, you, you know, the, the, the approach was to go into the slums, go into the inner city, go into these areas where black people tend to tend to be even to this day and and try to encourage them and say, hey, um, I see the way you're living. The government don't care anything about you. Let me tell you about this doctrine and let me tell you what this doctrine can do for you. Let me let me teach you these ways. Let me teach you these precepts uh, and it'll make your life better. Well, let me tell you, when you find yourself in the slums, you find yourself growing up in the projects, you find yourself uh, feeling as if you are separated from society somehow. When you find yourself in that position, can I tell you that anything promising looks good? Anything, anything that, that is remotely encouraging looks good to you. And so what do you do? You find yourself, you know, for us, for our family, uh, my mom had five kids and uh, up until about 92. So let's see, I was born in 87. My brother was born in uh, 84. So from 84 to 92, my mom was a part of this religion. She was a part of this false doctrine. And even to this day, she still believes she she can't even find she can't even find the space in her in her mouth to utter the name Jesus because of what she was taught in this false doctrine. And I'm telling you all this because false doctrine is so potent. It, it especially when it goes out to somebody who is just hungry for anything. You you see me. You see you. You understand my predicament. You know what I'm going through. Let me let me hear more. Right. Um.
And so false doctrine is, is, a, is a curse. False doctrine is dangerous. Um, false doctrine can lead, uh, can lead people astray. But Jesus informed his disciples that the Holy Spirit would teach them all things. Paul said in the New Testament, Regarding the Old Testament, these things were written down for our instruction, understanding that they didn't have the New Testament when Paul was walking around or roaming the earth, right? So when he talks about these scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. The elders then take that instruction and they pass it down a, a few different ways. They pass it down through the oral tradition with stories and narratives and, and, and legends. And we do that still today, too. When we, I just, I, in fact, I just did it moments ago. I shared with you my story, my history, and how God brought me out of that, right? That's, a, that's, an, that's an oral tradition about how God has changed my life. It's a testimony. Um, but they would also take take the uh, the Old Testament and, and, and the Torah and they would share these things and they would, um, if I could say it this way, uh, the Jewish people would oftentimes embellish these stories. Uh, in fact, my, my, my wife bought me a couple years ago a very interesting book um, uh, called the Haggadah and what it is is a, a book of legends. That's what the word means. It's a book of legends uh, of Jewish legends and stuff and so you're reading some of this and so they talk about things um, you know about how Abraham was Abraham was uh, standing in the in the shop of his father one day Terah who was a maker of idols um, and they, they embellish the story and say things about how Abraham left that facility or left that life because he had an encounter with a, with a, a woman came in and, uh, to buy, to buy a, a, uh, one of those idols. And, uh, Tara had left for the day. Tara had left on some, some vacation, perhaps to go sell, uh, sell those idols somewhere else. And, uh, this woman comes and she starts to look for this idol. She starts to, to, to purchase an idol. And Abraham just takes, according to the story, takes this hammer of sorts and just starts bashing all the idols. This is before he became Father Abraham and just starts bashing all the idols. And his father comes home and, uh, Abraham, and his father says, what in the world, as you can imagine, what in the world happened here? What happened to my shop? What happened to all of these things, these trinkets, you know, that, that uh, we make and we sell and people buy them? What happened? What happened to these things? And um, Abraham says to him something along the lines of, well, why don't you ask, ask the gods, the idols, just ask them what happened. You know, they got into, they got into a fight, you know, why don't you? And his, his dad said to him, that's ridiculous. Idols don't don't fight each other. Idols don't talk. And Abraham said to him, yeah, you're right. And so that's a great story, but it's not in our Bible. Right. But, but that's, that's a story for Abraham and how he came out, uh, according to Jewish legend and Jewish tradition, how he came out and then became, uh, father Abraham, this, this guy who would be the, uh, really this picture and image of what we would be we would become as heirs with Christ Jesus. So they would do this with the oral tradition. They would do this with the written tradition, uh, with drama, you know, Isaiah walking and other prophets walking naked, barefoot through the streets. Uh, the one prophet who was told to, this story just always gets me. It was told to eat dung. Y'all know that story? 
Y'all ever read that story in the Bible and you go, what is happening here? I've read it a couple times and I'm still, I still, I still don't get it. But he was told to mix, you know, mix, mix dung with his food and eat it. Lay on, oh, oh, and he was told to lay on one side, I think for 12 months, for a year, for a year. Ezekiel, it was a long time. So, right? I mean, I'm, me, I'm thinking this is a lot. He's going to have a lot of bed sores if he, lays, <laughs> if he lays on his side for a whole year, you know. But I think God was trying to tell the people something. So, but they would do these things because in, you got to imagine what Ezekiel, if somebody comes up to Ezekiel, he's going to, that's an opportunity for him to teach the people why he's doing that and what God is wanting from them. Because God's just not going to tell him to do that for no reason, right? And so then that becomes an avenue for doctrine to be disseminated, for teaching to occur. I did this by way of drama, um, public teaching and interpretation. That's what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm teaching you uh, publicly. Uh, uh, Paul would teach uh, and he would stand and say to the people, you know, let me tell you about the unknown God. Y'all remember that story, right? That was a, that was a public display, a public teaching. Um, they would also teach by way of making disciples. In fact, the Great Commission tells us to go ye into all the world, teaching and preaching, baptizing in the name of Jesus Christ, right? Making, making followers, making disciples, so that as we follow Christ, they can follow us. And then they follow, they get disciples and they follow them, right? And they create, we create disciples. But all the while, how that happens is by way of teaching, living life by example, by way of doctrine. So doctrine is important. Um, teaching is important. This is a great responsibility, but also a troubling task because somewhere in the process of transferring what thus says the Lord, bias sets in. Can we just be honest? Bias sets in. Personal experience sets in. Cultural experiences set in to what we, what we want to teach from the word of God. Popular but improper philosophies settle in when we try and uh, when we attempt to teach the word and teach what God is actually saying. And so these things, they set in and they begin to in intermingle with what God actually said. And then that's how we get things like doctrines of men and doctrines of devils. So I started by saying there are three, three types of doctrines that we're going to talk about tonight. And the first one is doctrines of men. Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. But in vain they do worship me teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. So these are the doctrines of men. What the scripture is saying is that they are teaching in order to teach the commandments of men. They are teaching in order to teach the commandments of men. Teaching or, or it could be said like this, teaching the doctrines of men as though they were commandments. Teaching the doctrines of men as though they were commandments. So Understand that the doctrines of men identify the religious traditions, uh, even church traditions that have overwritten the commandments of God. They have somehow overshadowed and become more important than the commandments of God. And I'm, I'm going to give you scripture for this in just a minute. The doctrines of men 
identify the religious traditions and church traditions that have paved the way for leaders to justify having the best business model. Now, I will tell you, I will tell you, and, 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 and be completely honest with you, I am one who likes process and procedure. I think it's important that we have process and procedure, even and even probably perhaps especially in the church. But I want us to understand where some of some of these things come from. Now, the Bible does talk about about church government and pastor uh, earlier this year. Uh, I believe it was in the series Girl Power uh, highlighted some of the church government that the Bible does teach us about, about what uh, bishops should be and what deacons should be and those things. And so I'm not I'm not knocking church government. Church government is necessary. It's needed. But we have to understand. Uh, and perhaps this is the hardest thing is understanding where those things cross over and become a distraction to what God is actually asking us to do, to be the church, to go into all the world teaching and preaching. So the doctrines of men identify those traditions that are not biblic that are not biblically, that are not biblical, but they inform the way we do church today. The doctrines of men identify those traditions that are not biblical, but they inform the way we do church today. <laughs> Somebody might say, well, what about 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul says, these things I wrote unto you, hoping to come to you, but if I am able, let this letter guide you on how you should behave or how you should govern yourself in the house of God. Now, Paul is not talking about having a church service per se. He's talking about how church government should function. And in fact, um, if you read that scripture in uh, the KJV, when it talks about the house, it's talking about the body, how to govern yourself really as the body, not the building, right? How the body should govern themselves. And so, um, he, but he's writing here and he's saying to, he's saying to uh, uh, Timothy and those who are listening, he's saying to them, I might, I might not get the chance to come to you and teach you these things. So here's why I'm writing you this letter. I'm writing you this letter so that you can understand how the body should behave and how the body should function, not how you should have church service. Okay. I want to make that, dis that distinction. So how, how did we get here? How did we get here? Let's look at Matthew chapter 15. Uh, we'll go from verse, starting at verse one. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. You caught that correctly. They came to Jesus with a complaint of bad hygiene. Your disciples are breaking the traditions of the elders because they don't wash their hands before they eat. Look at what Jesus said. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? <laughs> I love how he just, he, he didn't, he, you know, we, we get bothered sometimes when people answer a question with a question, right? 
And Jesus says to them, you come at me, basically, you come at me with this foolishness. You, you, you worried about hygiene. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about the fact that you have allowed your traditions to override the commandments of God. Let's, let's talk about that first. Then we'll, I might answer your question about hand washing, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about that first. He responds by noting that God's commands are greater than man's commands. God's commandments, God's doctrine is better than man's doctrine. There was a, there was a program some years ago when I actually used to listen to the radio, um, uh, it was a commercial. It would come on. It was this man. I don't know who it was, but he had a website called God said, man said, y'all ever, ever heard that commercial before? God said, man said.com. Y'all never heard, y'all never heard that. It was a commercial to try to, to try to get you to his website so that you can, it was like an end time prophecy type website thing, but he had it right in his commercial. God said, man said, Right. What does God actually say? What does he actually want us to do? And 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 why and cautioning us against allowing man's commandments to override God's command. Look what he says. He says, for God commanded, honor your father and your mother and whoever uh, reviles father or mother must surely die. That's what God said. Okay. But you say this is what man says. You say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you, sh what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. He need not honor his father. Now, God said, honor your father and your mother. But they're teaching, well, let me give you some context. They're teaching that if I'm giving everything that I have to God, then I don't have to honor my father and my mother by giving it to them. What's going on here? It was, it was customary for them, uh, people who were endeavoring to be rabbis or teachers themselves in the synagogue and in the, and in the temple, it was customary for them to give honor to their rabbi even over their father. And on one hand, you go, well, that you know, get, they're giving more honor due to the right to righteousness than they are to, to the natural sense because their father birthed them, right? Was a, was one, the father didn't birth them. You understand what I'm saying? The, the father was in, involved in the process of bringing them into, into the world naturally, but their rabbi is involved in bringing them into the eternal world, right? By teaching them the precepts of God. And so they would take their, they would take their focus, their time, their possessions, instead of being the one who would become uh, a, a sheep herder or a shepherd, right? And take over the, the flock for, for old daddy-o. Instead of doing that, they would devote their time to righteous things. Now, the, again, on the one hand, we go, well, that's good. They left behind the carnal in order to, to spend more time with the supernatural, in order to spend more time with God, right? But in that process... They lost sight and tradition said, well, you don't have anything now to give to your mother and father. You don't have anything to give to you. So because you've given it to God, you don't have to honor your mother and your father. That's what they began to teach. And Jesus Christ is, is giving them, uh, is teaching them a principle here. You've allowed this tradition because of man's commandments You've allowed this tradition to override my commandment. I never took it away that you weren't 
allowed to honor your father and your mother. That commandment still remains today. Honor your mother, honor your father. So while they prioritized righteous teaching over earthly teaching, which is a good thing, they created this tradition that said it's okay, you don't have to do that because you're giving, you're giving everything to the synagogue. You're giving everything to the temple. You're giving everything to the man of God. Now, this might create some uh, cognitive dissonance for some because you go, well, I thought that was a good thing, and it is. To leave behind the carnal world, to leave behind the, uh, uh, the natural life, that is a good thing. But when you, when you cross over into that supernatural space and you cross over into that and doing things and working on behalf of God and being available for God to use you, you got to really ask yourself, am I a part of a system who's allowed man's traditions to override and overrule the commandments of God? That should always be on the forefront of our mind. Should always be on the forefront of our mind. Jesus says, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In vain, of course, we know means fruitlessly. It, it's not going to produce anything. It's an unsuccessful search. They're, they're showing up with worship on their lips, but their heart is far from me. They're showing up with lifted hands, but their heart is far from me. They're showing up with these sacrifices of praise, but their heart is far from me. Why? Because they've allowed the traditions of man to override God's commandments. Hmm. Isaiah 29, 13, which is what they were, he was quoting there. This is what Jesus was quoting. Wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of man. Here's God's response. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Now this, when I first read this, I was like, okay, go God. All right. God's going to do something awesome. But then I started studying a little bit more. And what I realized is that God is not uh, congratulating the people that he's going to do something awesome. There is a rebuke in his response. He's saying, because you have turned your heart toward the precepts of men, I've got to continue to do wonderful things in your presence so that your eyesight, your focus can change from man to me, back to me. A precept is defined as a general rule intended to regulate thought or behavior. And I want to be transparent with you tonight. There have been times in my ministry where I've experienced great confidence in God. I had my instructions. I knew what I was supposed to do. And I, I set out to do it. And I was good to go until the saints showed up. And then all that pressure to perform 
all that pressure to do what was expected based on man's tradition hindered me, I feel, from doing what God asked me to do. Now, and I've had to, I've had to go back to my prayer closet and say, God, I'm sorry. It happened again. <laughs> it happened again. I felt so confident in this. I felt so confident that this is what you wanted me to do. And then the saints came around the corner. And this old boy got nervous. This old boy began to second guess himself. This old boy began to second guess God. Because of man's traditions, the expectations. And I don't blame you. We've done it as a church system. We've done it to ourselves. We have created the traditions that block us or that hinder us from being able to see clearly what God wants us to really be doing. We, we've done that right on down through the line. I'm going to talk about some tonight, hopefully. Uh, hmm. He says here in Isaiah, the fear of the Lord is not genuine because it is taught by man. How many of us, if, um, just, just, just a question. How many of us would trust Pastor Huber's judgment if one day you showed up and now this won't happen, but one day you showed up, this was gone, um, the pews were arranged in a way to where all of the attention was not up here, but perhaps it was set up uh, like how they used to do in the Old Testament when Jesus would, would stand, you know, really in the center of a small group and he would, he would talk and he would teach. And then at times he would show up and he would, or he would stand up on a mountaintop and this is God. And, and here's my, here's my problem with this. This is, this is God in the flesh. Remember? Okay. So if he is elevated, I don't think we should be or or we should, we should really question uh, how we set up uh, our church services. Now, this, this, this altar here, this altar here is minuscule compared to what I've seen, the, the grandiose stages that I've seen and, and, and witnessed and been a part of and been in. And you show up and you go, is this about God or is this about this church building? Is this, a, am I here to, to have my life changed or am I here to, to look at this museum of, of all of the great, uh, uh, preachers that have come before and I, again, give honor where honor is due, but why are we here? Why, why are we in this building? Why do we, why do we go to conferences? Why do we show up to church? What we're there to hopefully have God do something in our life. That we can walk away and have, a, have an experience going, man, that was a good conference. Not because of the music. Right. Now, I, I'm saying this, and I'll be leading worship at the youth rally in August. But what I'm, what I'm, what I, what I'm putting before us tonight is to really think and consider what traditions we've allowed to override and overrule and overshadow the commandments 
of God? Where did some of these things come from? Hmm. Their fear of me is taught by man. The only reason we fear God, the only reason we reverence God, he's saying here in Isaiah, the only reason they do that is because man told them to. They have no natural fear, no natural reverence for God. How many of us have a natural reverence for God that when we leave out of this place, we go not because pastor said so, but because God said so, because I believe that he heard from God on that on that issue. And I'm going to change my life because I have a natural fear for God. I have a natural fear, a natural desire to want to please God above all people and things. That's my desire. I don't want to have this, this hand-me-down fear, this hand-me-down reverence. Now, I done wore some hand-me-downs a time or two in my, in my life. I remember uh, my brother, you know, he was always a couple grades ahead of me. Man, he had these white, oh, what was that shoe brand? It started with a K. K-Swiss. You couldn't tell me nothing. I had those white K-Swiss, all white K-Swiss shoes. Man, they were, they stayed clean. I was the guy, and some people still do this today. You know, you take that toothbrush and that toothpaste. Woo, man, you go to scrubbing. Why? Because they were hand-me-downs. I loved, I loved them hand-me-downs. But I don't want this hand-me-down. I don't want this to be a hand-me-down. I want to have a natural fear and a natural desire to reverence God, to trust God, Right. My own self, not because man, some man said that I needed to or that I should suggested strongly. I mean, saints don't listen to pastors anyway. Oops. Because if we did, uh, some of our lives wouldn't be the way they are right now. So if you're not going to listen to pastor. You need to have a natural fear, a natural desire to see God pleased. And guess what? Because you have that natural desire, natural fear to see God pleased, to be submissive to your pastor will flow naturally. You see how that works? Because this is the, this is the government, if you will, that God has set up. Hmm. God says, I'm going to do marvelous things among this people. And because of this, the wisdom of the wise will perish and the understanding of the prudent men will be hidden. In other words, God will put on display his power so that the people can see him and not man. As I said earlier, God says, I will do a distinguishing action. I'm going to do something different. Something that even the perceptive won't even be able to perceive. The wise men won't even be able to understand. Thank God for doing something different and distinguishing in my life. That when people look at my life, they, there is no explanation for it. It's a marvelous work. It's a marvelous work. I thank God for those moments. But look at God's motive for doing that to these people. I want it, I want it so that when God does that, it's a natural it's an, uh, it, it comes from a place from his heart as a natural desire to see me saved. 
But in this context, he's saying the only reason I'm doing this is because you're distracted. The only reason I'm doing this is because you have lost focus. It's almost like God's over here going, hey! <laughs> right? I've got to do something to get your attention because you, you've, you've, allowed God's, you've allowed man's commands to override mine. I'm still here, buddy. Buddy, oh, I'm, I'm still over here. Look at me when I snap my fingers, stars are created. Look at me when I, when I do like that, stars go out. They lose their, 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 their ability to provide light. Look what I can do. Some of y'all will get that later. This is what God is saying. So, so in this context, this is not what I want from God. God, don't do something wonderful in my life because I'm not paying attention to you. Don't do something wonderful in my life because you're trying to get my attention. Do something wonderful hmm, out of a natural love and desire to see me different. That's what I want. That's what I want. Amen. The doctrines of men, though, are not the doctrines of devils. They're not. And, uh, and I won't do it this time, next time. Um, there is, there is a, some distinguishing features. The doctrines of men are not necessarily the doctrines of devils, but perhaps the doctrines of men act as a gateway to the doctrines of devils. Doctrines of men are not necessarily lies. They're just bad for the church. They're just bad for us in our religious practices because they distract from what God has actually caused us, called us to do. Earlier I said, traditions are often a response or overcorrection to another trend. So I want to, I want to, uh, play, uh, just play an advocate here for a second. And, um, let me preface this by saying, this is not a rebuke or an attack on any church, um, not even ours, but I want to put this before you all for consideration. Some doctrines of men. Thou shalt wear church suits. Where did it come from? There was a time in our history, there was a time in our history where church buildings be became more and more and more elaborate. And in doing so, the people felt that they needed to become more and more elaborate. We teach people, well, you know, the Bible says, come as you are. Now, as I say this, you better believe, you know, I would, I would not want to see uh, a, a, a saint, you know, dressed up in, in, with the knees. And we see this, we see this today by the way, in the evangelical church, in the denominal world, we see people stand on the platform, which is supposed to be a sacred desk. It's supposed to be a, sac a sacred space, supposed to be, but they stand up there and they've got their, their knees showing, right? And they stand up there and they have the, the, the cutouts and, uh, and, and the women stand up there and they jump around, and do their thing. And just as immodest as they want to be. So there is a, there is a balance to what I'm saying. The Bible does not teach us to wear church suits, um, but you also 
should not come to church wearing nothing. <laughs> come to church. Forsake not the gathering of yourself. Right? Do that. All those things are important. But just know the Bible has not given us a specific dress code for church. Know where it came from. Don't allow the, the dress code or the expectation to prevent you from coming to church. Don't allow the dress code or the expectation to cause you to go out and spend money that you don't have because you're trying to impress somebody. They would, in fact, they would, they would take the suits, they would rent them on one day, say Friday or Saturday, come to church, show up Sunday with their Sunday's best on, and then take the suit back to the pawn shop. So the Smith is laughing because she knows it's true. And then what you would do, you would repeat the process. What were they doing? Were they, were they pleasing God when they did that? God was just happy they were there. He didn't say go and buy a suit and spend money you don't have and come to church and then have a good time and go back, sweat it out, right? And then, and then go back and do the same. No, that's confusion. Just come to church. Come to church, <laughs> dressed. <laughs> Thou shalt have a concert before preaching. Concert style music was a response to the mass exodus of young people looking for a purpose during the late 50s and 60s. And so as a way to reel the, the, the young people back in, they started infusing all of these different styles of music to entice the young people to come back. It was an overcorrection. Can you imagine, I wonder what church would be like if we came in here and we opened up a psalm and started singing that. Now, I, I love when Brother Alex gets on that guitar. I mean, I love it. Who, who, how many love it? When he, when he gets something and he, he does his thing, he's shredding, you know. I love it. We need more of that. <laughs> Didn't I just contradict myself? But understand, these are traditions of men. And I put this before you because, again, I asked you the question, what would your response be if all of that went away? Would you then doubt the man of God if it went away? How many of us would still come with the ability to worship without Brother Alex shredding it or, or, or Peyton or uh, uh, David beating on the drums? How many of us would still be able to have church without that stuff? I walk around my house singing, making a joyful noise. Amen. Sometimes it's not joyful to my wife, but <laughs> I know it's bad when I come, you know, downstairs or across the house and I see that bedroom door closed, but not just closed, it's locked. <laughs> I mean, she's in the room. She's probably in, either in the closet or in the bathroom. That door is closed and locked too. Don't bother me. Y'all making too much noise. Right? Thou shalt approach the altar only during crisis and when called. Uh-oh. Here we use the altar to only offer a sacrifice of mourning. Or we use the altar or we avoid the altar for fear that you will be judged as having a problem. 
How many of us have stood back and said, uh, just subconsciously, you wouldn't dare say this out loud, but subconsciously and consciously to yourself, I want so bad to worship, but if I do, people are going to think I have an issue. If I do, all those people, those strange people are going to be laying their hands on me, and I just don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want that experience. Well, if you don't, just don't hinder it. Don't allow it to hinder you from worshiping where you are. Because what ends up happening is, because you don't move from here, you don't take that, that step of faith, and really that's what the altar call is. It's an invitation for you to exercise your faith. Exercise, what am I doing? I'm walking. I'm exercising. It's an opportunity for you to exercise your faith in God and in the preached word that just went forth. But when you stand there and you come up with all these excuses about why you don't want to be, to be there, and this doesn't happen in our church, by the way, right? right? This doesn't happen here. But when you do that, what you end up doing is you end up hindering your, your, your praise. Why? Because now that's going over and over in your mind. I don't want to, I don't want to, I, I, and then before you know it, church is over. You second guess the potency and the potential of the power of God because you are all in your feelings. All in your feelings about just an experience. Just come on down to the altar. In fact, I would even encourage you. Before the thought, as the thought is forming in your mind, I don't want to go down. Just go ahead and take a step out. Just step out. Why? Because you're exercising your faith. Uh, uh, let's see. A few more. One more. Two more. Thou shalt control the flow of your gathering. Thou shalt control the flow of your gathering. Programmatic flow of church service. What was this modeled after? Catholic Mass. Anybody ever been to a, a Catholic Mass before? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you'll know what I'm talking about when I say this. I went two or three times, and the first time I went, I fell asleep. The second time I went, I fought real hard, but I still fell asleep. The third time I went, I went, and what kept me awake was watching all these people drink from the same cup and trying to figure out who's going to get sick first. Just form the line and everybody just sip from the cup. That was, that was a marvel to me. I was amazed at that. But it's very programmatic. Domino, you know, dominus, you know, ute, la la, you know. It's all programmatic. It's modeled after the Catholic Mass. What if we came to church? How many of us could still worship church if pastor said one day, notice I keep referring back to my pastor because he's the one, that's, he's the one, right? If pastor said one day, you know what? And we kind of did that this weekend. Friday, he was very intentional, by the way, about not having any music. He said, we're going to pray and then we're going to hear the word. That's it. That's all we're going to do. What are we doing? We're shaking up those traditions. Why? Because we've been so programmed that when we come to church, we're going here, we're going to have our donut first. <laughs> Let's just get that out of the way. Got to have that donut, that little round, that round sugar mound, right? We got to have that first. Somebody said, come on now. We're going to do that first, but then we're going we're gonna to fellowship a little bit. 
We're going to have a seat. And then now when Sister Hannah or Sister Julianne play that first key, now it's time to worship. We're so programmed. What if we came to church one day? Here's a novel idea. What, what, how, what would your response be if you came to church one day here at 6911 North Trenton Road? Those doors were closed and locked. And pastor said, go pray and get ready for church. How many of you would be like, okay, I ain't coming next week. I'm here now. I can't leave, right? Because then he'll know I left mad. But I ain't coming next week. He better have my donuts. Right? How many of us? Now, I know I'm preaching to the church and preaching to the choir. We like, man, we, we, we support it, Pastor. We, we, whatever you want to do, we support you. But, you know, there are those, there are people. Hmm. There are people, let's call them guests, because we only see them, we see them infrequently. There are people who, when they come to church, they expect exactly what I just said. They expect the treats. They expect to be greeted. They expect the usher to tell them exactly where to sit. They expect to tell them, they expect for the church leaders to tell them exactly what to expect. Here's what you can expect at Aphesus Church. Let's put on the biggest promotion, the biggest production that we can. Some people, that's the only church they know. And so what we've created, I've got to quit. What we've, what we've created is a tradition that when they show up, it's, it's, it's our fault. Church, it's our fault that that's what the guests expect. Because if they showed up and all of us were heads down, praying and speaking in tongues. Now, I know, I know Paul teaches this in the New Testament, right? Let there be interpretation so that if a guest comes in, they'll know what's going on. I get all that. But understand the, the principle of what I'm trying to unpack. We've created certain expectations in the church. We can't even get away from them without losing some people. Let's all stand. If we in vain seek to manipulate a move of God based on the doctrines of man, then our efforts are put on notice. God says doctrines of men are fruitless and make us hypocrites. That's what the scripture said, Matthew chapter 15. In vain, fruitless, ye hypocrites. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word, Jesus. God, I pray help us to rest, help us to know, help us to be aware of these things, God, lest we lose focus, lest we lose sincere desire to worship you, a sincere desire to please you, lest we lose sight of a sincere and uh, a fear and reverence for you, and that we worship our traditions above the commandments of God. God, I repent myself of those things. I pray, walk with me, help me to keep everything in focus and in alignment, and we'll be sure to give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Somebody said, in Jesus' name. If you were encouraged, by this message, 
and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church, or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit EphesusChurch.com. Thank you for being a part 